you're good to go. Welcome to the Nickel Package Podcast. It's the divisional playoff round in the NFL playoffs. I'm Rob Pozzola. I'll be breaking down this week's action with Joe Fortenbaugh of the National Football Post. Now, last week, not a good week. We had one play on the show, the Cincinnati Bengals. They lose outright at home to the San Diego Chargers. I do regret that play in hindsight. Very, very tough game to watch with Andy Dalton throwing interceptions, Gio Bernard fumbling on the goal line, but that was the past. We look forward to the future. Four good games this week, four games to break down. So I bring in Joe Fortenbaugh of the National Football Post. Joe, a little bit disappointing last week, but hopefully we can turn it around for this week. Yeah, the fact that a team can go 8-0 straight up, 8-0 against the spread, winning by an average of 17 points per game at home. They've got playoff experience. They've got everything you're looking for. To go out and lose and or not cover, you know, that's one thing. To get blown out on your home turf in embarrassing fashion, that's a, that's a completely different thing. And for Jay Gruden to be the higher in Washington, that certainly has me scratching my head a bit. But um, I'm interested to uh, talk a little divisional round with you today. Interesting setup. This has been, uh, you know, back in the 80s and prior to that, we used to see the high seeds, the chalk dominate this round that hasn't been the case as of late last three seasons you've got uh half the games being decided by seven or fewer you've got the other half being decided by 11 or more and you've got upsets happening every single year to one of these higher seats so we've got to identify who that's going to be this week and uh i'm sure we both are going to have a lot to say on the matter yeah absolutely let's get right into it we talked about this game uh this potential for this game on last week's podcast with the new orleans saints going to CenturyLink field to take on the seattle seahawks now Last week, I liked New Orleans. Uh, I caught a little bit of them in live betting when they fell behind in that game against the Eagles. And I, I look at this matchup, I was expecting to see a higher spread in this game. I thought Seattle would have been inflated to a, a price of 10, 10 and a half maybe because of their home dominance. But now what's happened is the Saints win on the road at Philadelphia. All of a sudden, the public buying into this fact that the Saints can now suddenly win on the road, and they're going to go to Seattle, which is a much different environment than Philadelphia. Now, granted, the Eagles fans, they can get on you as well, but Seattle, arguably the, the best home field advantage in all of professional sports right now, just a dominant home field advantage, and New Orleans went there earlier this year. They got absolutely embarrassed on Monday Night Football. That was with Seattle coming off a of bye week. They're in the same situation again here this week. Now, I don't love the game. I don't love betting chalk. But if I'm leaning anywhere right now, Joe, I'm leaning with Seattle. Yeah, I was surprised by that when you sent me the rundown that that's the direction you were looking. But it doesn't. It, it once I thought about it, it wasn't a complete shock to me because I do realize that a lot of times when you see the public all over one side, uh, you you'd like to go the other way. And you know what? Betting that consistently, while it won't turn a big profit, probably won't get you to go as bust as it would. Right. Because uh, we all know the public in uh, Las Vegas wasn't built on winners. This is an interesting game for me. Um, a variety of opinions here. You look at the Seahawks. Yes, they've got the buy. Yes, they've got Percy. Harvin coming back, although I don't think you're going to see him play 60, 65 snaps and make a huge impact, but he could be somewhere to be found in this game. Um, Seattle's offense is a concern for me when laying this many points. Last four weeks of the regular season, they were averaging only about 19.4 points per game and 263 total yards of offense per game. They've really been sputtering. They sputtered at home against Arizona, despite four turnovers from Carson Palmer and the Cardinal offense. They couldn't find a way to win that game on home turf, and and the following week, they take on St. Louis, and while they did cover, if you watch that game, the offense couldn't move the ball at all. That, they, the one touchdown was scored by the D, and uh, the defense continually set up the short field for the offense to get some work done, which they were only really capitalizing on with field goals. So that's a concern for me. Uh, on the other side of the ball, you look at New Orleans. 
Yeah, they got the monkey off their back last week in Philadelphia. Great win. But this is still a team that's only ever won one road playoff game, one and six against the number on their last, uh, for their last seven on the road. And uh, the defense is depleted. Uh, they, Rob Ryan's done a great job this year, but every week it seems like he loses another defender. The question here is if New Orleans can avoid letting Seattle get up on them early. That's the big concern for me because uh, in all those outdoor road games they've played where they've gotten their business handed to them, they've stumbled early. Even the indoor games when you saw at uh, St. Louis as well, they, they stumble early and they have a real tough time bouncing back. They stumbled a bit against Philadelphia, but the Eagles didn't capitalize on it in the first half. So for me, I, I'm leaning New Orleans because I know there are some sharper guys here in Vegas who think this is the best play on the board. But for me, it's just a lean because like we've talked about so many times on this show, I am terrified of playing against Seattle when they're at CenturyLink Field. Yeah, you'd be in the poorhouse if you've been playing against Seattle at home for the last couple of seasons. They're just, uh, they, they not only win at home, they dominate at home. They cover spreads. I do agree with your point about the Seattle offense, though, and that's why I'm not playing the game uh, you know, against the spread. I would lean to Seattle. I much prefer them in teaser plays this week. I think Seattle wins at home. Uh, it could get dicey at the end, and you do have strong backdoor cover potential with Drew Brees as well. This is a type of game where Seattle could be winning by, you know, 10 to 14 points late in the game, and the Saints drive the field to score a touchdown. They can backdoor this game. So that's why I'm not playing it. But uh, I, I know you're a teaser player. I'm not a big teaser player myself, Joe, but i got to imagine Seattle will be something you'd consider for teasers this week. You know what, and that's another good question because there's three big spreads out there this week, and I know a lot of people would be looking when it comes to the six-point teaser about teasing down the favorite. I would be thinking about teasing up the underdog. Mm. I'd probably rather have New Orleans plus 14 here than Seattle minus two. I could go either way on that, but I think getting the 14 with New Orleans, that would make me a little bit more comfortable. Uh, for everyone listening, be advised, there's some inclement weather uh, scheduled for this game. Looks like temperatures are going to dip, but not enough for snow, but there should be uh, a significant significant amount of rain. I think the forecast is like 100%, which on a side note, I don't know how any weather guy in the business is going to put anything at 100% the way those guys call things. And put it at 98% and at least give yourself some wiggle room. But there should be some rain, there should be some wind, um, so be advised there. Uh, That should favor Seattle, but again, if if the offense is able to protect the ball and Seattle can't capitalize on some turnovers in short field, covering that kind of number with a sluggish offense in the rain might be difficult. All right, Joe, you talk about the weather in this game, and a lot of people ask me about totals on Twitter, and I get these questions year in and year out. Um, so we talk about totals. Rain probably doesn't affect totals. It's usually the wind that will affect totals. We've seen this number drop from 48 to 46. I'm even seeing 45.5 on some offshores right now. I like the under in this game. I look at these defenses. These were number one and number two against the pass in the NFL this season. They each gave up less than 200 yards through the air. I look at both teams. I think they're both going to try to run the ball. I I think especially with Seattle, they're going to try to run against New Orleans. We'll see the clock ticking in this game. I think that's too many points in this matchup, Joe. I'm looking at the under. I may make a play on this. Let me ask you this. At the opener of 48, assume it's still 48, but you're going to get good weather. Do you still like the under? Because because I do. Even in yep. good weather, I thought this number is way too high. Yep. Seattle's defense has been lights out at home. And, yeah, New Orleans can score. Don't get me wrong. But last week against Philly, it's not like they lit them up on the road. And this is going to be a tougher matchup in a tougher situation. As for Seattle, they're going against a pretty good defense in New Orleans, and they haven't looked that good offensively as of late. So 48, even in good weather, I thought was pretty high. Yeah, I agree. New, this is in New Orleans in the dome. This is New Orleans on the road. 15.8 points per game in their last five away from home. 
and and they're playing the best defense they're going to the play away from home. Uh, they already faced them and only scored seven points this year. They I don't even think they picked up 200 yards in that game on Monday night earlier this year. So I don't see New Orleans putting up enough points to put this over. That's just me. And and we mentioned the question marks with the Seattle offense. I believe Russell Wilson only had you know three or four touchdowns in his final three or four games this year. It was really sluggish down the stretch. So uh, if I'm if I am advocating one play in this game, it would be the under. Yeah, I, I like that one as well. If I'm going to jump on one, I, I would agree with you there. I still lean a bit to New Orleans. I would say this, when everyone else in the business, uh, in Vegas anyway, is offering an 8 on this game, LVH is offering a 7.5. And, a half. and uh, sometimes that's been an, a unique indicator for us when they're the one book offering a different price, uh, maybe a bit sharper, but you know, we're not, we're not going to make bets solely based off that information. Just something to keep in mind. All right, Joe, let's switch over to the Saturday night game, New England taking on Indianapolis. Now, the Colts game last week one of the more memorable games in recent memory uh, especially for me you know I did finish 0-1 I did have a big play on the Bengals but I actually won a lot of money last week live betting the Indianapolis Colts uh, both money line and the spread in the game uh, very lucky to do so because of all the injuries that the Chiefs suffered in that game everyone was dropping like flies for the Kansas City Chiefs Indianapolis ends up coming back to win now they find themselves depending on the book as a seven or seven and a half point underdog in New England Patriots coming off of a bye week. Now, you know, I have conflicting trends here because I I normally don't like to back the Patriots laying this many points. They've actually notoriously been a pretty poor home favorite. They don't tend to cover these big spreads. But the Colts, for me, have been a fraud for most of the year. They've played up and down to the level of their competition. They've won games against some good teams, but they've been outgained badly. And I, I feel like they've been a very lucky team this year. I could see them coming down to earth this week, Joe. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And I know I said earlier that with the big favorites, I'd be teasing the dogs, but I would tease the favorite in this game down to one because we've got a lot of sevens on the board in Las Vegas right now, and I think New England handles business. Um, You look at Indianapolis, great story, great comeback last week, one for the record books. Uh, you talk about Andrew Luck, you talk about being a, a fan of that team, you know you're never out of it. And there's so many teams and so many fan bases that can't say that. You've got to be thrilled with the way this kid plays football and how they never give up. They left everything on the field last week. They spilled their guts in that comeback win, and now they've got to turn around in one week and get ready for a team that's well-rested and a very playoff-savvy bunch in Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. Now, the knock against New England, and this is what scares me a bit, is the, is the, the home row, or the, excuse me, the Gronkowski in-out split, meaning when he's on the field, they average 32 points, 417 yards per game this season. When he's not on the field, that drops to 24.4 points and 358.6 total yards per game. So it does worry me a bit, plus all the injuries on the defensive side of the ball, that's a concern. Now, that being said, New England found a way to score points at the end of the season in the final two games without Gronkowski. They blew out the Ravens in Baltimore, and they've got two weeks to get ready for this game, which I think means you're going to find a variety of ways to get the LeGarrette Blunt, Shane Vereens, and Stephen Ridley's involved, hoping that none of those guys drop the football. Uh, you know, Tom Brady's still chasing that fourth Super Bowl, and the bottom line is he's got, he, he wants that so badly that you know they're going to have a great game plan and be prepared this week. The question is whether or not they can execute. So in terms of laying the seven, I, I don't think there's any way you're going to find me on Indianapolis, whether it be a teaser, whether it be a straight play. I think I'm going to be looking at New England both ways here. Although, like you said, Rob, to follow up on this, New England 2-8 and eight against the number, last 10 home playoff games. They don't seem to cover a whole lot at home. They don't do it during the regular season or the playoffs. They win a lot of games there, but 
they don't cover. So certainly keep that in mind heading into this game. Yeah, absolutely. That That's an interesting trend. I still do lean to New England, though. And, and that Gronkowski factor, I think it's a bit overblown because of the matchups earlier in the year. If you remember back to the first month of the season uh, with without Gronk, the Patriots offense was really struggling. People were questioning whether they are going to be a playoff team this year. The last three weeks, as you mentioned, they scored 41 in Baltimore. They put up 34 at home against Buffalo. And that game that they lost to Miami, I remember, I was on the Dolphins. Uh, the Dolphins win that game 24-20. to The Patriots could have easily scored a lot more points in that game. They moved the ball at will against that Miami defense. So I think they're going to do the same again this week. You look at the running game for New England. They're going to come out of the bye. They're going to pound the ball with those three backs. The Colts can't stop anyone on the ground. Jamal Charles went down early last week. Then they had to face Nile. Davis, they still couldn't even stop him. I just see this running game for New England taking over. Tom Brady works the play-action pass, and that's it. I think New England's going to score a lot of points in this game. Yeah, agreed. And that Miami game, you're right. You look inside that box score, I think they rolled up close to 600 yards of offense and came away with less than 20 points, or right around 20 points. I mean, that that was just, they, they just weren't able to capitalize, especially at the end there. But um, you're right, they're going to be able to run the ball here. And they, I remember thinking, when everyone, I was in a bar getting ready for the Philadelphia-New Orleans game, and when everyone was going nuts at the end of the Colts game, talking about how great that was, the first thing that popped in my mind was bet against these guys yep. next week. Too much to rally back from and then get ready for a veteran team like New England. Also, the last last point I'll make on this game, teams that score 40 or more points in a game, 3-13 and 13 against the spread in the following game as well. So uh, that's you know that lends credence a little bit to what you're saying. They put a lot into that game. Uh, offense looked great. That doesn't tend to translate it week in and week out, and I could see them struggling on the road. But let's move on to Sunday's game, San Francisco and Carolina. This should be a really good football game, and this one's probably, to me, the most intriguing one of the week because I look at it and I really don't understand the line in this game. Now, I get why the odds makers have had to post this line, and I get why the 49ers are favorites. The public is going to love San Francisco in this game. They've been a good road team this year. They've been very hot in recent weeks. But to me, I look at the game, I see San Francisco-Carolina, two very, very even teams, Carolina at home. To me, this should be Panthers laying three points, Joe. Instead, I'm getting them as an underdog. I like the line value with Carolina in this game. Yeah, this has been a funky line. I've been keeping an eye on it all week, and some really funky moves have taken place. Game opens pick, which right off the bat blew me away. Um, like, like you said, Robin, we'll get into some of the numbers here in a second, but this team, especially well-rested, shouldn't be opening as a pick for anybody with what they've done this year. And then you look at what happened during the week. San Francisco money comes in immediately and knocks the line to San Francisco minus 2.5. Then a day or so later, and I'm talking about, I think, Wednesday, the line in Vegas comes crashing back down to pick, and now we've got San Francisco as a one-point favorite again. And I'd imagine that'll probably head up a little bit more come kickoff time, favoring San Francisco with, with the state of Nevada bordering the state of California. Yeah and all those Niners fans coming across to get, make their opinions felt. Um, I'm not sure how you go against a team that's gone 11-1 straight up, 8-3-1 and one against the spread over the last 12. I'm not sure how you go against a team that has those numbers and also the second-ranked defense in the league and, and has proven at home that they're a real good bet. Plus, they've got an extra week of rest. That's what doesn't make sense to me. I think the San Francisco is hot in their own right. I think they've found a way to win their last seven. I think the reason you're seeing this is the difference between the two teams when it comes to playoff experience. Colin Kaepernick's going to be making his fifth postseason start. Jim Harbaugh is going to be coaching his seventh postseason game, which, as we all know, includes a Super Bowl trip last season. Ron Rivera in Carolina, Cam Newton in Carolina, big situation for them. First time either has been at the helm in the playoffs. And last week, I know some guys were real high on New Orleans 
as a second-half bet when that game was 7-6 because of the fact that you had Drew Brees and Sean Payton and all that experience against Nick Foles and Chip Kelly, who had none. So I I would say if I had to pick one reason why I think this line is moving the way it is, that's why I'd say it. I think the playoff experience of San Francisco is one of the big reasons why the betters are backing the 49ers. But when you saw Colin Kaepernick running last week, and as great as that looked, it was great to finally see him get out there and do that again. Don't expect the same thing this week against Carolina. He's going to try to run, but it's not going to be nearly as successful. Green Bay, Green Bay excuse me, plays more man coverage. They've got their eyes right. on the receiver. Carolina plays more zone. They're going to have their eyes in the backfield. There aren't going to be as op- many open running lanes for Kaepernick to slice this defense up. And, and I was going to say, so we talked about that Green Bay game last week. To me, the 49ers weren't all that impressive in that game. They, no. do- they dominated in the first quarter, and they should have been up a lot more early on in the game before Rodgers got his feet wet a little bit, but they were not good at all, and Ka- Kaepernick bailed them out a lot of times there, but I'm just scratching my head, and, and we've seen that time in and time out with Green Bay this year. The, their defense is horrible. Dom Capers hasn't made any in-game adjustments at all this season, and they continue to play man. They continue to let Kaepernick pick up first downs. People don't realize how good this Carolina defense is, I, and I know Carolina struggled in years past, but this is a completely different team. You mentioned the 11-1 and down the stretch, but you look at what they've done at home. They've given up less points at home this year than the Seattle Seahawks have. They've started 13% of their drives in opposing teams' territory. This defense bogs down. They have good special teams. This is a team that's that's capable of grinding out games. We've seen them do it against San Fran this year. We saw them do it against New Orleans. They did it against New England, albeit there was a controversial call at the end of the game. But that's three big wins for this team this season. I, I, I know it's Newton's first start. I know playoff quarterbacks have struggled in, in their first start, but Cam Newton is a special breed. He's not the type of quarterbacks we've seen in the playoffs as a rookie in years past. I, I just like this situation a lot for Carolina, Joe. Yeah, and don't worry about that missed call in the New England game for Carolina because we've seen in recent weeks Luke Keekley is not going to get called for anything. So he'll be able to get away with one or two big ones in this game that they won't flag him on because that's happened like two or three more times since the New England game. It even happened the following week. You really can't put a flag on this guy. He's that amazing, it seems like. Um, one, one last note on this. I lean, with, lean to Carolina like you do. Um, I, I agree. I think there's definitely line value here, and that's the main reason why. The one concern for me is Steve Smith. He he was practicing this week but suffered a setback on Thursday. Even if he finds a way to go, he's not going to be 100%. In a game where this offense isn't exactly all that explosive, that's a big concern for me because those rest of those receivers, I can't trust Ted Ginn at all. Brandon LaFell makes for a half-decent number two, but when he's stepping up in the rotation, I don't think he's going to get a whole lot done. So another thing I'm going to look to here, it reminds me of when Alabama and LSU met each other about two, three years ago, and then they met for the rematch in the BCS championship yep. game. I went under in the first one. I pounded the under in the second one and never had to sweat it. This game was 10-9 the first time around. I went from 43 to 42 now in terms of line movement. I'm going to play the under here as well. I'm not sure why I should believe this time around when these two meet is going to be all of a sudden some high-scoring affair. I agree 100% with that. I think both defenses have the edge in this game. Uh, the offenses, they'll, they'll try to impose their will as well. These are both teams that like to run the ball. And, and yeah. again, I think they'll do that. They won't have much success, but you'll see some clock being eaten. I agree. The number looks low, but you look at you know, 42, and I've seen, I see 41 now as well. You look at that number, that's, you know, six touchdowns and extra points. That's a lot of touchdowns to ask for in this type of game. 
read this game if they're running it, or if both teams try to establish the run game, which they will. They both like to run the football. They're power teams with good defenses. Controlling the clock and avoiding turnovers, you could see this game being you know 7-3 at the half. I don't see this game. I'm not sure where the explosive plays are going to come from that bust up and under early in this game. I'm really not. I think maybe there's a chance for a broken play, but if the teams protect on when it comes to turnovers, don't have bad turnovers, and in addition to that, if you don't give up anything on special teams, I really don't see how this game is going to be high scoring. Agreed 100%. Uh, last point I want to make on this game, I got a tweet early in the week from someone, I can't remember offhand, not, I don't have my phone with me to pull up my Twitter account here, but uh, someone tweeted me saying that the last uh, in the last 10 years, there have been six rookie quarterbacks who've been home underdogs in the playoffs. They're 2-4 and four against the spread. I went back and looked up those four losses. Those quarterbacks were Tavares Jackson in 2008, Matt Castle in 2010, Anthony Wright in 2003 with Baltimore, and in 2005, Carson Palmer against Pittsburgh. But if you'll remember in that game, he got hurt, and John Kitna had to come in and finish that game. So I'm not putting a lot of stock into that trend because... Uh, Cam Newton is a hell of a lot better than Anthony Wright, Tavares Jackson, Matt Castle, and a combination of Carson Palmer and John Kitna. <laughs> and, yeah, and, I would say you can go ahead and defeat that one right away. That was all the analysis you needed there. Here's another one for you that was making its rounds this week. Uh, prior to this game, there have only been five instances in NFL history in the divisional round with a home underdog. In four of those five meetings, the home underdog won that game. So that's a trend point in the Carolina. Absolutely. Good stuff there, Joe. Uh, finally, we'll move on to our last game, San Diego and Denver. I like a side a lot in this game. Uh, this is a rare si- rare time that I'll probably side with the public. Uh, I don't know where the splits will be by, by game time, but I do figure that the public will see this as too many points at the San Diego Chargers. I'm trying not to get influenced by last week's game against Cincinnati because I think that game could have gone differently had Gio Bernard walked into the end zone, scored that touchdown instead of being stripped at the two-yard line. But with that being said, San Diego, to me, matches up very well with Denver. The Chargers have been playing essentially playoff games for the last five or six weeks. They've been in do-or-die mode for a while now, and although you know they struggled in that final game against Kansas City, they got lucky, they still won those games. This is a team that's been playing that type of football for a while. They have some momentum going in their favor, and on top of that, their coaching staff very familiar with Peyton Manning. Mike McCoy being there last year has familiarity with Manning. The Chargers played Manning a lot of times you know, five to seven years ago where, where they were consistently making the playoffs. They seem to have Peyton Manning's number. This year, you look at, at the, uh, the Broncos' offense in the two games against the Chargers, 20 and 28 points. That's two of their three lowest scoring totals on the season. I look at this game. I see the Chargers getting a lot of points. I see this being a close game. I'm going to take the points with San Diego, Joe, and I actually think they have a chance of winning this game outright. I'm going to go plus 330 on the money line as well. More. I'm playing. I'm playing San Diego in the points. I'm playing the money line as well. There are a variety of reasons here to like this game, and they're not all because we saw San Diego win last week. San Diego's biggest problem this season was their defense. They they had a horrible defense, especially the secondary. Over the last six games of the year, including the playoffs, five of which have been winners, the the lone loser being the Cincinnati game six weeks ago. Their defense has only given up. 
16.3 points per game, less than mm. 17 points per game over the last six games. They've won five of them. They've been covering spreads left and right. They are a very dangerous football team right now because they have nothing to lose. Like you said, Phillip Rivers was quoted heading into the Cincinnati game at talking about pressure in the playoffs. So what are you talking about? We've been playing playoff games for a month now. That's exactly how it's been for this team. They're on house money. There is no pressure. They've got nothing to worry about. Plus, they've got that swagger of knowing they've gone into Denver, they did it on a Thursday night, and they won that football game. I don't think Phillip Rivers is worried one bit about Peyton Manning. He respects the hub, don't get me wrong, but they've met in the playoffs twice. Both times Rivers won, both times Rivers covered the spread. Then let's look at the other side of the ball, and this is the main reason I like San Diego, because it has nothing to do with San Diego. I don't trust Peyton Manning or John Fox in the postseason, especially laying this kind of number. Peyton Manning, in his 15 years, he's 9-11 and against the spread, 9-11 and straight up. There are a variety of people that make a variety of excuses for why Manning's numbers aren't better. That's not his fault, that the defense couldn't step up, blah, blah, blah. The bottom line is that's a huge sample size. The guy struggles at times in the postseason. I think it's because his teams rely on perfection out of him, and he makes one or two mistakes, and suddenly his defense isn't bailing him out. And this is not a bailout defense in Denver. These guys can be eaten up, and they can be eaten up good, and we've seen it on a weekly basis. Also, going back to San Diego real quick, a point to mention, San Diego was at only one team, what is it, Denver was, has only been held to less than 400 total yards in two games this year. Those were the two San Diego games. Mike McCoy's familiarity with this team, and I remember what John Fox did in that Baltimore game last year, mismanaging the hell out of it. The bad play calling, the, the not using the timeouts to try to push the ball at the end of either half, too conservative of a game plan, and it came back to cost them late. These coaches, they don't change their ways. Look at Andy Reid. They get to a certain point, and they just keep doing the same thing over and over again, yep. no matter how many games they lose, no matter how many times the media points out the stupid mistakes they make, managing the clock and, uh, you know, controlling their, their timeouts late in games. So you're going to give me nine and a half with San Diego, who's red hot, very live dog. Yeah, I'll be playing them on the money line. I'll take the points as well. And also, Mike McCoy isn't the only coach on this staff with famili- familiarity with Peyton Manning. You look at John Pagano, the defensive coordinator there. He was the linebackers coach under Norv Turner when Turner was the head coach in San Diego. Now, Norv Turner wasn't a good coach, but his staff had really good success against Manning. Like you mentioned, Rivers 2-0 and straight up uh, head-to-head in those games against Manning. Manning. I look at this game, I just see so many factors favoring San Diego and yeah, Denver was blowing teams out at the beginning of the season, but they came back to earth later in the year. Chargers are playing good ball. You got Peyton Manning in the playoffs. Like you mentioned, 9-11, and but take out that Super Bowl run as well and that becomes a 5-11, and which makes it much, much more uglier uh, when you look at those numbers. In the cold against a 3-4 defense, Manning in his career has been much worse against 3-4 defenses. His career quarterback rating numbers, uh, much, much worse in those scenarios. This is just way too many points. I, I love I love San Diego in this game, and I think they have a really, really good shot to win this game. I think plus 330 on the money line is good value, Joe. Yeah, and I'll, if, if you're looking for another teaser half, that's another six-point teaser right there. I'll take 15.5 with San Diego. They're a feisty yep. team. Yeah, Denver always has that blowout potential, and if they're trying to score and they're trying to score late to, to give themselves a cushion, that could fall apart. But I, I, I think when you, when you want to bet underdogs, you've got to be able to believe the underdog can win the game. I understand there's situations in college football where you might have a team catching 42 against LSU the week after Alabama, and you might say, yeah, this is a good opportunity to keep it close. But the most times, especially in the NFL, you're going to bet a dog, you got to think they can win. I think both of us in this situation think San Diego can win this game. All right, Joe, let's wrap this thing up. Uh, I'll start with my plays for this weekend. Obviously, we just talked about it right now, but my top play uh, will be the San Diego Chargers. I love them. You know, if it, 
if I was some sort of tout, they would be probably my 10-star play of the month type of thing. Uh, I do like this spot for them. I think it's a lot of points. Right now at five dimes, uh, for offshore betters, you can get a plus 10 at minus 125. I like that a lot. Uh, you feel, you know, you get a little more peace of mind than betting it at nine and a half. So if you can grab that plus 10, fine. If not, then grab the nine and a half. Small play on the money line there in that game. I also like the Carolina Panthers. I will probably wait until game time to bet it. I doubt we're going to see the money come back towards Carolina. I think it may get higher uh, in favor of San Fran. Bodog for offshore betters is offering a plus three on Carolina. It's at at minus 135 right now, last time I checked, which is a steep price, but uh, it could be a close game. San Francisco wins a lot of close games by field goals. Uh, You saw it against Green Bay last week. You saw it a couple weeks ago against Arizona. So don't be surprised if it's a field goal type of game. If you can grab a plus three, grab that. New England and Indy, I'm not sure what I'm going to do yet. I'll post to my Twitter if I am going to play New England. I'm I'm not a big guy. I, I don't advocate laying points too often. I'm more of an underdog better, so I don't know if I can trust New England in that role, especially since Indy could backdoor that game as well. Uh, so I'll post that to my Twitter if I do play it later in the week. And also, Seattle and New Orleans, I'm going to play the under in that game. I think it's too high at, at 46 points. I see Seattle's defense stepping up big. Don't see a lot of points in that game. I like the under a lot in that one as well, Joe. There you go. I like them all. Uh, my top play would probably be the under in the Carolina-San Francisco game. I don't see a whole lot of reason to think it's going to be a much different story than what we saw the first time around. T- Granted, 10-9, I don't think we get that kind of finish. But 21-17, I'll take something like that. So that's going to be my top play. I agree with you on the New Orleans-Seattle under. I do like that. I'm going to be hammering San Diego. I think when it comes to six-point teasers, um, using New England, using San Diego, using New Orleans are all good bets. But if you end up going with Seattle instead of New Orleans, I don't think that's that awful of a play either. Uh, you are teasing through two key numbers, moving it through seven and through three, and that's what you want to think about when you're, um, when you're using six-point teasers in the NFL, getting through those key numbers. Um, as for the, the, some of the sides here, the New England game, outside of maybe having the pats in a tease, I don't know if I'm going to be playing that. Yeah. Maybe I just take Saturday night to enjoy that game and have a couple brews, maybe <laughs> see what, what hockey has to offer as well. Because um, as far as that game, I don't really want to lay lay the full seven with New England. Although if I had to pick a side, that's the way I'd go. But top play is going to be the Carolina-San Francisco under. I think I might go with a a New England teaser. And if I can find Carolina at uh, plus one and a half, I can tease New England and get Carolina up through the key number of seven as well, uh, which I think would be a strong play. Because I don't see San Francisco could very well win this game. I'm betting Carolina based on line value, but I think they're pretty evenly matched teams. So I wouldn't be surprised if. San Francisco won this game. It's the same reason that I, I kind of like Green Bay last week against San Francisco, but to ask them to win by more than a touchdown against Carolina, who's been a very good home team this year, that to me would be one of the top teaser plays this week, Joe. Yeah, I like that as well. You've got to move through the two key numbers. You get to one and a half. Um, yeah, you get that through seven. That's exactly what you want in a low-scoring defensive game. Take a look at the total. They're telling us it's going to be a low-scoring game. So you're catching more than a touchdown with the well-rested home team. I like that play a lot. Um, let me ask you this. In the past, uh, past being not this year, any other year, there'd be reason for concern if you were a better and you saw the funky line movement we saw in the Kansas City-Indianapolis game. Quick recap on that. Uh, Indianapolis opens as, what, a two-point favorite? Yep. The line gets, or three-point favorite, line moves down to two, two and a half, one and a half. And then before you know it, in the final 24 hours, it swings all the way to Kansas City minus two and a half. We saw about five, five and a half points of line movement in that game. 
But the bottom line was Indianapolis won outright. And there were a variety of people who were able to cash those tickets at a variety of numbers because it was right there at the end of the game. But let me ask you this. Should we be that concerned if we see a funky line movement? Let me ask you, if, if the game right now is Carolina plus one and come kickoff it's Carolina minus three or it's San Francisco minus three, should we get that concerned? Because this year I don't think we have to put as much trust into some of these line movements. Yeah, here's the thing. I always look at line movements and I try to, you know, figure out whether it's a public line movement or whether it's a sharp line movement. It's a it's a, a lot harder to tell in the postseason because there's so much more money on these games from the public. Uh, so you could see the public move a line. Now in Kansas City, uh, Indianapolis last week, I think it was a combination of both, personally, because you see the line move almost six points. That's a huge line movement. I think a lot of big, sharp money came in on Kansas City there, and a lot of the public was backing Kansas City as an underdog in that game. Now, personally, I've always trusted my ability to handicap the games. I like to look at uh, where the public is betting. That's just one of the factors, though, that I use in, in betting games. I, I don't you know necessarily take every anti-public play. You look at this week, the Chargers will probably be a publicly backed underdog. I'm going to play them anyways because I don't disagree with I don't agree with the line. Uh, but you know, it is a little bit concerning. I'll be honest with you. Indy KC, I was uh, you know, about to get get on board with Indianapolis last week before the game, and I'm scratching my head at, at this line movement, and I'm, I'm thinking some heavy hitter has put a lot of money on Kansas City here. Someone likes the Chiefs a lot, or a lot of people you know, like the Chiefs a lot. Uh, th- that made me scratch my head. Um, luckily, I didn't put that play before the game, and I capitalized in-game, but I do put stock into that, Joe. I do look at that stuff, and it, it does make me second-guess myself here and then, but if I do really love something myself, I won't pay attention to it. Yeah, sometimes those movements, they'll, they'll get me off a play, and, and Kansas City and Indianapolis would be a perfect example of that. But I, I just know from watching college football this year, I don't know if there's some new betting syndicates that are in the market that are having an influence but aren't very good at what they do yeah. or just somehow are getting more respect than they should. But we saw this in college football all year, back-to-back games with Maryland early in the season, the line just going crazy against Maryland at, at, at unique moments, and Maryland still handling their business. I believe one of those was the UConn game. And then you look at the, the, the B. CS championship game this week. We knew that Florida State money was going to hit at some point. It finally hit on Sunday, pushed that line through 10, and then Auburn played a hell of a football game. And that was the one thing we had talked about in the month leading up, is that Auburn's a very good team with a very good coach. Yes, you give Florida State a month to get ready for that game, and they should have done better against the option, but Gus Malzahn came out chucking the ball around a little bit, and they had a lot of success, and Auburn ends up covering. So I think this year has been a, a telltale sign that we don't have to be as scared of these movements as we were in the past, but we should still at least respect them to an extent yeah I, i'd be lying i'd be lying if i told you that i don't p- put any stock into it i have you know two different uh, browsers open up on my computer with just public line movements and where the public is betting games when i post my blog week in and week out i'm sure that i include a public consensus on the game i think people like to see that type of stuff uh it definitely inf- influences me I, I you'll almost never see me you know back a play where 90 percent of the people are on that same play i just don't do it uh notoriously i've seen that that type of play fail more often than not and I treat gambling as more of a return on investment type of thing I will I like to win in the long run I'll sacrifice you know some weeks I'll have losing weeks but it's all about the long run uh, for me so I, I do t- tend to avoid those huge public plays and I, and I do 
you know, put stock into the line movements. Like you said, it'll get me off a of play. I was about to take the Colts last week at minus two and a half early in the week. Then I said, you know what, I'll just, I'll see where this one goes. And once I saw the movement in that game, I said, you know what, screw this. A lot of people like the Chiefs and I'll pass. But once I saw the Chiefs get up by so much in that game, uh, we know the Colts. We've watched them a lot. We know the NFL this year. Uh, you know, teams battle back. Andrew Luck, I had a lot of confidence in him coming back. I took a lot of in-game, you know, plays on that and made a killing. Not only do we know the Colts, but we know Andy Reid. Right. We know Andy Reid, and we know he can't manage games in the clutch. So I, I like the angle that you were doing that, and I think you and a few other guys that were smart enough to get on that, you guys made a nice little profit there, taking advantage of a situation we've seen play out before. Yep. That's Joe Fortenbaugh of the National Football Post. You can follow him on Twitter, at Joe Fortenbaugh. You can follow myself, at Rob Pizzola. Uh, Joe, it seems we're in agreement on on basically everything this week, with the exception of the Seattle-New Orleans side, but I don't think uh, either of us are playing that game uh, as far as the side is concerned. So good luck this weekend, and uh, hopefully we can rebound after last week. Same to you, Rob. Good luck to everybody out there. And if you have any questions, feel free to hit us up on Twitter. Keep them coming. There's been a lot of good info. And I love it when you guys start throwing your picks at us as well because some of you have been catching some fire. So it's always good to hear those opinions as well. Absolutely. Good luck this week, Joe. Thanks, Rob. All right, that's Joe Fortenbaugh, the National Football Post. This has been the Nickel Package, the divisional round of the NFL playoffs. I'm Rob Pozzola. Good luck with your plays this weekend. For even more of the best picks in football this week, be sure to follow us on Twitter, at Rob Pizzola and at Joe Fortenbaugh.